Today's episode of The Mission Daily is brought to you by Twilio. This October, Twilio is hosting Signal, the Customer Developer Conference of the Year. To grab your tickets, go to signal.twilio.com and be sure to use the code MISSION20 at checkout to receive 20% off your tickets. Welcome to another episode of The Mission Daily, a special episode of The Mission Daily. Sadly, Chad is not here to join us, so it's just me. And a new friend, Josh Reeves. How's it going? Going well. Happy Wednesday. Yeah. So we're here on location at Gusto HQ in the Dog Patch in San Francisco. We got some uh, construction going on in the background because Gusto is growing. So that's got to be exciting, right? It is indeed. We have two kind of what we call co-headquarters, Denver, San Francisco, and both cities are growing quite a bit right now. So you might hear some construction noise in the back. Yeah. I used to live in Colorado Springs and Denver just from the times that I've gone back Recently, it's just wild how much it's growing. So today, we're going to talk about a few things. Startup world, how you build Gusto, your background. We're going to get into the future of HR, payroll, and all that sort of stuff. And talk some leadership, because as someone who has studied leadership their whole life, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I love your leadership philosophy, and there's some really good nuggets in there that I think people like. Thrilled to be on the uh, podcast. Hopefully, We'll make it as useful to folks as I possibly can. A lot of people have been of help and been uh, giving me advice over the years, and it's always a pleasure to pay it forward. Sweet. So tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I'm one of the few locals. I was born in San Francisco, grew up nearby, right across the Golden Gate Bridge, loved the outdoors. My parents are not from here. My mom is from Bolivia, uh, was an immigrant, came to the States when she was 18. My dad's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, They're both the first in their families to go to college and became teachers. But growing up in Marin, a lot of hiking, a lot of outdoors. I have one brother. We're both Eagle Scouts. So I was going to ask you, what troop are you in? I was just say this. So I was, I was in, uh, yeah, I was, I was an Eagle Scout as well. Ah, small world. Yeah, I feel like we should do the handshake. I know, right? (laughs) Were you in the OA? My brother was. Oh, okay. For those of you that don't know, that's Order of the Arrow. Yeah. But to answer your question, now we're getting really nerdy. Now we're getting really into it. (laughs) I was in Troop Fifty Nine. And my uh, Eagle Scout project was actually at Mirror Beach. Oh, no Even out there, we put in some dune protection, some steps up the bluff to prevent erosion. Uh, I built a ring of benches at the Bishop Out Living Laboratory so that people could sit on the hill with treks. Shout out to Ashby Lumber, who provided the lumber <laughs> the, or the treks for free. So Awesome. Good on them. I've been back to the steps we built you know, 20 plus years ago and, and their need of another Eagle Scout project <laughs> yeah. to go update, revamp. But yeah, it was a very formative part of my childhood. Definitely outdoors, nature, really special place for me even today. And then went to Stanford. That was really my first foray into technology, startups. And we're going to talk a lot more about those topics. But you know, growing up, I just really loved uh, taking stuff apart, figuring out how it worked, and spending time in nature. Awesome. So you had kind of an interesting road. You're a founder first before Gusto happened, and you and you sold your company. What was that company and kind of walk me through that process? Yeah. So, you know, connecting it a little bit back to school to start, you know, I was an electrical engineering major at Stanford. I chose that major really because I like math a lot and I did signal processing. And and if I connect the dots on the last 20 years, it's, I really just like taking complex problems, deconstructing them, figuring out what makes them tick and seeing if I can improve them. But to dive into my last chapter, I had started a company in 2008 with a friend and I, I described that two-year chapter as a very reactive chapter. And there's some lessons from it that have very much impacted Gusto and I hope impact some of the folks listening. You know, we started that company when Facebook platform had just launched. 
We made it easy for folks to, to build apps on Facebook, things like putting in your products from Zazzle or eBay or different commerce websites. And ultimately, though, what we were really doing was just optimizing on how to make more ad revenue. We were making you know, thousands of dollars a day in ad revenue with just two people working on some of these apps. And you know, that's exciting. That, that seems like success. But what was really missing at that point, and I can say this in retrospect, was what is the problem we're trying to fix? What is the long-term purpose of this business? Where does it go 10, 20, 30 years from now? And so we were in stealth for a long time. We built a small team. But ultimately, when the opportunity arose and, and the space got really busy with lots of different companies approaching how to do social media management, we did get acquired. And it was really after that experience where I thought a lot about what was missing in that chapter, almost juxtaposing it against a, a nonprofit I had started in college, that I realized what was missing was, for me at least, you know, a really deep connection to what are we trying to fix? Like, what is the thing that I'm so obsessed about that I want to go make better? And where does that go over the next 10, 20, 30 years, that long-term perspective. And a lot of that is what drove us, frankly, to the way that we've been building Gusto. And even the idea itself, when running that prior business, I had used another payroll system. That was part of how I got exposure to the pain point and this big frustration that impacts so many companies today on the way that they build their teams. So, and then how'd you meet your co-founders? So for Gusto, we have three co-founders, Tomer, Eddie, and myself. We actually coincidentally are all electrical engineering alums. I would not hire myself as an engineer today, but I have a ton of respect for that foundation. But Eddie, I met in undergrad, so we've known each other now for 17 years. And then Tomer actually grew up in Israel, came out to Stanford for his graduate studies. We met through the alumni mentorship program, became roommates, and that was the house we were living in, actually. Eddie started commuting down and then lived with us for six months, where we actually started Gusto. And then, so after kind of that founding moment and you started building, did they have like similar experience with the kind of pain point that you were saying like, hey, there's kind of something wrong with HR benefits, payroll, this kind of group? Or what was what was that kind of founding genesis? Yeah, they definitely had gone through a similar experience. Each of them had had their own prior startups and that's really a coincidence. But each of us, and I summarized my previous chapter pretty quickly, but they had their own version of that where they had built something, had some degree of success, but all three of us had concluded, we want to go tackle something that's a big problem that that would take decades to go fix, if not even longer. And and the reason why is we just derive a lot of joy being technologists in, in fixing stuff. And the power of technology is in fixing something at scale, right? Gusto today serves over 1% of all employers in America. We wow. launched six years ago give or take, you know, that's made possible, that scale through through technology. So we aligned on wanting to tackle a big problem. We had all run these prior companies. We each had family that had run small business. And so that was also kind of a exposure point. You know, Tomer, his dad runs a small clothing shop in Haifa, Israel. He had spent time as a kid working in that store. Yeah. The first software he ever wrote was trying to automate supply chain and inventory management because he was tired of doing it himself by hand. Eddie's dad is a doctor, you know, runs a small business. His mom does a lot of the operations. Uh, my mother-in-law runs payroll. So we had these exposure points. But we also had a, I would say, a shared philosophy on not just the mission, but also the how, like wanting to build a company in a way we're proud of, wanting to think for the long term, wanting to bias towards transparency, focusing on the customer, some of these attributes that have become pretty critical to how we hire at Gusto as the company's grown bigger. And so... You know, for some teams, you kind of have the the three founders, one person's making it, one person's selling it, and one person's fundraising, you know? I mean, like, how did you view 
building versus fundraising and like how you were going to get this thing actually off the ground and, and start scaling? I guess my advice there and, and tying it to what we went through, first and foremost, it's finding alignment on do we care about this problem? That's the mission. And then do we have a shared value system on the way that we work with each other? You know, I didn't have, we didn't have an explicit filter on complementary skill sets. It turned out each of us did have different areas of focus. Eddie, you know, my co-founder leads our engineering team and has been very focused in that area since the early days. Tomer leads our product and design team. And I kind of was much more focused on go-to-market, business operations, everything to enable us to, to get customers in scale. But when I think back to the early days, for that first year, we didn't even have a product live. All three of us were just building software. Right? Yeah. You know, there was nothing to do but build. And so we've tried to adjust over time. And you know, my role has obviously evolved quite a bit. We've now built up a full executive team and have folks doing a lot of the stuff that I used to do at much bigger scale. But I'm thrilled by also, you know, Tomer and Eddie and how they've grown. And the job keeps changing. That's what makes it fun. So I know you're a Steve Blank four steps to the epiphany fan. Do you feel like you shipped at the right time when you guys launched the product or? Yeah, I mean, for us, it was really important. You know, we have this this big ambition, right? We describe our journey, our goal is to create a world where work empowers a better life. And we have a lot of opinions on what that future looks like in terms of making it easier to start a business, build a team, hire someone, pay taxes, set up insurance, and improve the relationships between people inside your company, how you do onboarding, how you choose someone's pay, how people feel appreciated for their work. And these problems apply everywhere, right? So it's not just California or America. It's not just small business or big business. So it was really important for us to stay very focused. So when we did launch, you know, all we had live was a core payroll system in California focused on really new business. It took us 14 months to build out that early, early system. I'm glad that we took that time. You know, we had raised a seed round of funding. We still waited nine more months before launching because what we're doing is wow. something that is so mission critical. People trust us to pay them on time so they can make rent. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. It's like you couldn't ship something that like didn't 100% work. It has to always work. We don't have beta at Gusto. Yeah, we don't have totally. test mode. We have this incredible trust that you're giving us that we take very seriously. So I'm glad timing was definitely, I think, right for the market. You know, we leverage a lot of cloud-based solutions, paperless technologies, mobile access. If we had started Gusto 10 years ago, I don't think it would have worked. People had to be comfortable with those technologies to use Gusto. Yeah, I think that that's a really, that's a really critical insight because I think that the fake it till you make it kind of stuff is definitely way over in the wrong direction, obviously. But I think that, you know, there's ways to run experiments to see if the market really wants what you're actually talking about building for sure. But on the other end, there are some products that you just can't ship in an unsafe way, right? You know, having grown up in the Bay Area and, and having had some exposure to the cycles in tech, you know, especially here in Silicon Valley, there's there's always an up and down, right? So the core of it to me is is entrepreneurs, founders that really want to fix a problem and do it in a way they're proud of. And that's just, to me, the foundation. But there's a lot of fluff that comes and goes. And one, one of the distractions, I think, is, is thinking that there are shortcuts to serving the customer well. Things like NPS, that always matters, right? That drives retention. That drives word of mouth. That drives referrals. But also on team, how you hire, having a specific core value system and holding yourselves accountable to that. So we've tried to be deliberate, intentional there, you know, while growing pretty quickly, but we're also trying to always get better. One of the things I heard, and I forget who said it, but we've brought it up on the Mission Daily, I think, before, but that 
they don't like ring the sales gong on sales. They ring it on renewals. Right. It's like yeah. that, that's, that's the sort of mentality, right? It's like, just because, you know, you bought our stuff doesn't, doesn't mean we're, it's working. You continuing to buy our stuff means it's working. I mean, we celebrate every part of that journey, right? So we're focused on small business. It's a high volume. We're adding several thousand customers a month now. And, you know, every part of that process works. We think of it as a, as a flywheel, you know, as a circle. People learning about Gusto is an exciting moment. Them trying Gusto is even more exciting. Them using it and loving it, well, that is the most exciting moment of all because then we know that we've actually delivered value to you. Uh, but then you sharing it with someone else is great. You deciding to use more from us, right? You might start with payroll, but add health insurance over time. Those are all moments we celebrate. But organizationally, there's a ton of implications to that, right? That that experience I just went through involves product, marketing, sales, CX. Yeah. And all those roles have a different uh, impact on that process. And how do you ask for feedback from the customer? In lots of different ways. So NPS is one of our most structured ways to do it. It stands for Is that net, like a KPI? Yeah, net promoter score. It's just a basic survey where we paying a lot of customers on a regular basis and say, would you recommend this product to someone else? It can kind of be on a scale of up to 100 or or negative, actually. And Gusto has consistently been you know, above 70 since the early days. And that to us is a statement that we're actually doing our job right. But we also, whenever someone calls in, right, we're here to help you. We have follow-up feedback surveys there as well. Our product teams interact with customers on a regular basis. We think of customer interaction as, as an amazing moment to celebrate. And then obviously, if, if it's something that is not necessary for the customer to do in the future, we try to figure out how to prevent it from ever happening again. But we're always going to be here to help you if you have any questions. How do you view that alignment between those functions you were talking about with sales, marketing, CX, all of that? Because I think that's one of the things that's challenging in the current day and age is there's so much blending between all of those things. Yeah, so Gusto's org, if I'm going to try to describe it, although I usually draw it on a whiteboard, it really has three parts in my view. It has uh, what we call biz, which is kind of this vertical function. It has product. And then it has foundation kind of at the bottom, which supports those two. Oh, really? So That's interesting. I think of it as three groupings. And biz and product have the same goal, but just different skill sets, right? So biz is where that entire customer journey of how we get folks, how we onboard them, how we serve them. So classically, things like marketing, sales, CX, all sit. Uh, and product is, is where, again, classically engineering product design sit. But our product teams map to every part of the customer journey. And so we have, and we continue to try to keep as much as we can and improve that cross-pollination, right? So it's not that it's ever built. Product is not designed in a vacuum. Part of our product team is focused on how we do tax filings. They work incredibly closely with our CX teams as we continue to try to automate and streamline those systems. But we also have part of our product team focused on conversion or top of funnel we have obviously a big part of our product team focused on the core experience, what the customer looks at. But they have the you have same product goal. team focus on top of funnel. Yeah, so we think of ways to enable folks to try out Gusto and make oh, it yeah, easy that's to okay. uh, discover sense. and use the product, fall in love in stages, in phases. That's interesting because um, that's like I mean that's more of like a growth function or what I mean it's it's just that's really interesting that that's a product thing versus like the biz side. Yeah, we actually shy away from using the word growth to describe a specific team. Like we think everyone at Gusto connects to growth in some way. That's why the flywheel starts with that customer love. If we don't deliver value to you as a customer, well we don't earn the right for you to spread the word or to your point earlier if 
And if a company is getting five new customers and then losing five, they're not growing. Yeah. Right? So you have to obviously retain the folks. And um, the NPS we have, you know, is what enables us to have really, really high retention. That is, that's fascinating. That's really interesting that you structure the company that way. I think it's also, you know, the aforementioned Steve Blank who said there's only two roles in a company. You're either building the product or you're selling the product, right? But I like that you have add foundation as the, you know, foundation that supports the two pillars. Yeah, well, and foundation is is more of the classic functions, finance people, yeah. and I would put the CEO team there. And our collective goal is to enable those operating teams, biz and product, to go do the best work of their life, right? So it's a more internal facing set of teams, but we really want to uh, enable folks to go reach their potential inside Gusto. So you've put a lot of thought into the planning and the building and the hiring of the team here. When did you kind of start doing that? I mean, was that day one and kind of how did you like tactically plan that stuff? Was it just like, you know, building out the whiteboard functions early on or like, how did you start looking at that? Yeah. So we've been very intentional, I would say from day one, definitely not perfect. So we're always trying to improve, but I think why it mattered to us was we started Gusto with this ideal of spending the rest of our life building Gusto. And so if you work backwards from that point of view, and definitely the market we're in, the the future we're trying to create will take decades to really achieve. We want to go impact you know, millions of companies around the world. And, and today we're only at 1% of, of companies in the US. I'm proud of that milestone, but so much more to do. If you have that viewpoint, then to me, at least, it seems very clear. Of course, we're going to spend a lot of time thinking about, well, what is our team and how do we approach team? How do we hire? And so, yeah, early on, it was, we always thought of hiring as a search for alignment. Companies don't convince candidates to join them. Candidates don't convince companies to hire them. It's both parties looking for alignment. And for us, that alignment falls in three buckets. It's alignment around values, alignment around motivation, and alignment around skill set. The programs have gotten more structured over time, by all means, right? I mean, early on, it was it was me interviewing everyone, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we talked a lot about, you know, not just skill, but these other dimensions. As we've gotten bigger, we've we've structured and scaled up processes to maintain that. But it's definitely been a big focus of my time since the early days, and there's really no shortcut there. I mean, yeah. if I have one tip to founders, I know we're going to deconstruct some of the programs at Gusto, which I hope are relevant to some folks as a learning just spend the time is probably the biggest advice I have. There's no shortcut there to just spending a lot of your time thinking about what does this company stand for? How do we make decisions? What is our core philosophy? Not just what you do for the customer, but but the how of the way you build your business. How many early interviews do you think you did? And then how did that end up shaping what you looked at for an employee? I mean, I've, I've probably done thousands of interviews now in the journey of Gusto. The team is 650 people and, and we're growing. I mean, I, I was very direct and involved in interviewing the first 50, 60 people that joined Gusto. I don't have the exact stat top of mind on what the yeah. funnel was for those roles, but definitely, you know, well over half of my time in those first couple of years was spent actively interviewing and it's still a big, big chunk of my time today. And then, so I know the things that you've said that you look for an employee, which is service mindset, intellectual curiosity, no ego, and ability to embrace change. How did those come about? Were those just the three co-founders sitting down and saying, this is what we want um, to optimize for? And how did you choose those? Yeah. So we we created what we called our, our values at, in the early days. And those are some of the attributes that connect to them. If anyone visits Gusto, they're not going to see them on our walls. They're not going to see them on t-shirts, hats, bags. To me, you either live your values or you don't. But we created those initial values. You know, when we were just three people, 
because we wanted to know how to approach hiring. And so, you know, that was how I, I manifested was, was creating those kind of guideposts, I would say. And then specifically how we scaled it was, I definitely can't keep interviewing everyone in the company. So when we got to about 100 people, we created a program that we call the Watermelon Program. And it's kind of an insight. Why why the watermelon? Why watermelon? Yeah. So, you know, traditions in companies, I think, have to, sometimes they they just have to be natural and not be overly strategic. When we hired our first employee, we were working out of a house in Palo Alto. And I was living there. Tomer was living there. We had a, I think our landlord had given us a watermelon that morning. And so when our first employee came in, we gave it to him. And so now all new hires at Gusto in their first few weeks get watermelons. Oh, that's funny. And we basically enjoy eating watermelon. It's not for everyone, obviously, but it's just kind of a quirky, funny tradition that's developed. And so when we were creating this program, when the company was about 100 people, someone suggested calling it the watermelon program because it kind of brought back this memory of, of hiring our first teammate. And it just stuck. And so that's why we call it the watermelon program. And it's an interview basically focused on values alignment and motivation alignment. And so we're now in the fourth batch. Um, People get nominated across Gusto. So different employees on the team decide to participate. And we basically do a half-day training on how to do an interview that we call the watermelon interview focused on values and motivation alignment. People do shadowing, reverse shadowing, and then every single candidate coming through Gusto interviews with someone and does this watermelon interview. And so that's the way we've endeavored to scale what I used to do in that interview I used to. Got it. And that's all in the pre-candidate or in the candidate process? So that's a part of the hiring panel. Exactly. So every single candidate has that type of interview. And it's really a conversation. There's no right or wrong answer to the questions. It's really a discovery of, of what drives this person. How do they approach collaboration with others? How do we see if they align with this service mindset, no ego, intellectual curiosity type set of attributes? And by all means, if they don't align, they're not a bad person. It just means that they're not going to do their best work probably at Gusto. They could probably do better work somewhere else. But that's one example of how we've scaled that focus. So once we walked into gusto we put our shoes in a little cubby at the beginning of of the entrance here (laughs) so why do you have a shoes off policy here so that's another one of our uh, traditions i would say that's very unique to gusto if others want to mimic it by the way you have pretty cool socks on right now (laughs) by all means but we don't expect a lot of folks to follow in our shoes here pardon the pun no quasi pun intended yeah So, yeah, I alluded to it earlier. We started the company in a house in Palo Alto. As founders, we were all raised taking our shoes off in our homes, you know, as kids. And so that house was shoes off. And when we moved to our first proper office, frankly, folks on the team wanted to keep taking their shoes off. And so we said, sure, let's let's maintain that policy as long as it feels authentic. And now today with several hundred people in Denver, San Francisco, that's just a part of Gusto. And so my advice to founders is, Find what's authentic to you. Traditions should form naturally. You don't want to be overly prescriptive. And this is one of the ones that that's stuck at Gusto and, and now is a part of our culture. It's too funny. That is definitely a first. And I, I feel like I've been to a lot of a lot of places in the Bay Area. So that was pretty cool. Let's get into some of the HR stuff, future HR, payroll and benefits. Yeah. You recently launched this, I guess, is it a product or an initiative, I guess, for flexible pay? Yeah, we call it a, I mean, really a feature, but yeah, flexible pay. I can give more detail. Yeah. Could you just kind of share like what you were thinking? And it's, it's something that I found really interesting and compelling and kind of one of those, you know, we look back 
20 years from now and we're going to say, well, that that was kind of obvious. But kind of share the genesis of how this was thought about, created, and then executed. So first, we, we think of Gusto, our product, as really one product called the People Platform. And part of that is we just think that all these historical silos and separate buckets don't make a lot of sense, right? So for us, payroll is the core of that people platform. It's it's definitely the least optional part of the stack, right? If you don't pay someone on your team, they're going to quit pretty fast. Yeah. And so we really think of that as, as the core pain point. That's what we started building six and a half years ago. And it's what enables us to do things like health insurance and HSA, FSA, and all these other things, employee onboarding wrapped around that. So flexible pay is a specific thing that we kind of see as inevitable. It's literally the ability for employees to choose when they get paid. And so many people listening are probably familiar with the the two-week pay cycle where, you know, you you work three days and then you have to wait 11 days to get paid. Well, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense in our opinion, right? If you work three days, why aren't you getting paid for the work you've done in those three days? Employers definitely benefit from this two-week debit because there's a cash flow benefit to them to wait to pay you. But it leads to this incredible pain for a lot of employees where if you have rent due, you know, a day before payday, you might have to take out a really expensive loan. You might have to do credit card debt. You might have to do overdraft. And that creates this really bad cycle where someone actually even earned the income they needed, but it just wasn't given to them on time. And so we see a future where people get paid when they want, right? You could get paid weekly if you choose. If you work five days, you can cash out those earnings and get it in one day. And so that's what flexible pay is. It's just the beginning. We launched in Texas to start, but we're eager to bring that to more and more places over time and just make it the standard, right? Everyone should get paid when they want for the work they've done. Someone I talked to put it, I think, pretty well where they said, my kid who mows the lawn gets paid better than I do. He gets paid that day. Yeah. You know, why am I waiting two weeks to get paid? Yeah. I mean, I think that if you were to just take a step back and say, why do we do that, right? It's because we had to physically write checks yeah. and mail them to people, right? So why we paid at the end of the month is because that's when, you know, we could sit down and have the person who does payroll write all the checks. But now we don't need to do that because we can give people money instantaneously. So it's kind of this legacy system because that's how companies were set up. And I would argue that the finance folks or whoever is is doing this, they want it automated anyways, right? I mean, isn't it to a benefit of the of the employer as well? Yeah, there's a bigger trend here, which definitely is is what's helping us to grow and deliver our product and actually make it useful to customers, which is paperless technologies. Businesses, it's not just things like running payroll, which has been very painful for a long time. Many of these things were done by hand, right? So, you know, we focus on small business. We love serving small business. Nearly half of, of businesses in America still do things like payroll by hand. And every year, 40% of companies in the U.S., give or take, get fined for incorrectly doing their payroll taxes. And so you're right. You know, payroll used to be hard and complex. And we do our job right. We make it much simpler. We make it much easier. We give you back that time to focus on getting more customers or hiring someone to your team. You know, we're part of the latter one. We'll help you onboard them. We'll help you set up the right benefits for them. Will help you hopefully help that team perform and do better over time. But business is not standing out by filing their taxes on time. That's not how they differentiate. And so we're just really happy to take five of those 20 hats off their head and, and make their life easier. What are some of the things that you think are kind of uncommon truths about the future of HR benefits and payroll? Like what are what are a few of those things that exist right now that just make no sense that kind of are, are waiting to be changed? 
I can think of a couple, but one we were just talking about a bit is just, again, how much is manual today? There's so much that a small business owner especially does by hand, not just check writing, but even things related to time tracking or things related to setting up health insurance that, frankly, big part of our product is about simplifying, automating, streamlining. I think a separate one is a lot of these things have been siloed in a way where they're very inaccessible to folks. Like you know, we launched health insurance three years ago. And so many customers on Gusto now add health insurance. We focus today on small group health insurance. And it's amazing because a lot of those companies didn't think they could even do it before. And we've made it easier for them. They can set up really quickly. But I think you're going to see more and more companies They've always had the interest in investing in people and, and they know that people are the foundation of their companies, but having better technologies, better tools to go do a better job in, in serving those employees. I think that's a, that's a big trend that's exciting. And software companies like ours, building for small business is a new trend too. This is a segment that was really inaccessible and not very focused on in the past. Now you have companies like Shopify and Square and, and us, you know, building really modern solutions for this space. I think that's a really good thing for all small businesses. That's a really good point that there were so many advantages to, you know, we, we, we always talk about the perceived advantages of being big and then the perceived advantages of being small. It's one of the things we talk about on IT Visionaries podcast is the idea that as a big company, you have, you know, tons of data or you have this, that, or the other. You have benefits, these advantages, but startups also have advantages and you need to figure out what those are and use them, right? So for startups, like, hey, you know, you're leaner, you can offer certain things that, you know, a bigger company can't, but you leveraging these technologies, you can compete with the bigger companies, right? I think there's learnings happening both ways. And, you know, we're focused on small business. You know, we love serving tech but we also, frankly, our main focus is on mainstream small business. We serve bakeries, flower shops, cafes, churches, hotels. And one stat I'll, I'll spotlight there in the U.S. alone, you know, 98% of the employers are sub 100 employees. It's about a third of the workforce. So it's just a big part of the economy. It's a big segment, period. There are learnings happening both ways. We're bringing a lot of these more advanced technologies that big companies used to be the only ones that had access to, to these smaller companies. And that's amazing because, you know, they really benefit very directly. But I think one thing that small businesses have been really good at that, frankly, big companies can learn from is that they've always cared about their people, right? If you're a six-person company hiring one person a year, you deeply care about that yeah, it's onboarding a huge, experience. It's a huge percentage. You definitely know who that person is. You probably meet their family your customers might be in your community. You know them as well. I think that can scale. And I think something big companies sometimes have lost touch with is, is that connection to really people being the foundation of everything they do. You talk a lot about building for the long-term and long-term thinking. Like what goes into your long-term thinking and how do you know if it's working? Yeah, so I almost, maybe two buckets, like external and internal. So for a company like Gusto, right, everything begins with, what are we trying to fix in the world, right? Like we have a specific set of problems we're trying to fix. We have a view of what that future looks like, call that vision. And it's a belief, right? It's definitely a belief. You know, we can't guarantee it, but it's our opinion of, of what that future looks like. We have to prove every day through our work that we're on the right track, that we're actually choosing the right sequence, that we're doing it at the right speed. But we don't really debate that, that vision. It's just our due north. And we've had that since the beginning. What we do debate is the sequencing and the speed. And ultimately, what we're accountable to is do customers say thank you? Do they like the product? Do they 
love what we give them? Does it resonate with them? And that's why we track things like NPS, retention, customer satisfaction, so much. And so that's on the external side. On the internal side, you know, I guess ultimately the the thing I'm accountable to there is do people stay in the company? Do they feel like they can be themselves when they're here? Does this philosophy resonate with a big enough group of people that we can attract them to join us? But I really do believe and I hope that we can be running Gusto with the same set of values no matter what size we are. So those are some of my thoughts, I guess, on on scale. I mean, but are you thinking a decade out from now right now? I'm like, you know, like people, and I think that that's a hard thing to conceptualize, right? But, you know, you have to have long time horizons and you have to know that you're going to be around. But I think that there's a lot of companies that struggle with short-term thinking or, you know, here in the Valley, I think a lot of times you get into, well, we need to get to this place, this mark on the wall before our next raise to show that, you know, whatever it is. But I think that ultimately as a CEO, you have to be thinking five, 10 years out, right? So like, how do you do that? Yeah. So I guess what simplifies it for us is just focusing on the customer. And we know that there's what we help the customer with today, what we can help them with in the future and all the customers we don't help yet. When we do set short-term goals like OKRs, et cetera, what I bring up all the time is, is can we do this at 5x, 10x volume or scale? And if not, it's not worth it to go accomplish the goal and then have it only work once because whatever we're doing, we're going to have to do it at 5 or 10x volume sooner than people would think. And so we've just tried to keep enforcing that when we talk about our mission, our vision, like people know that it's going to take a long time to reach millions of companies and you know hundreds of millions of employees. We're only at 1% market share today. I think it ultimately manifests in just what you repeat, what you reinforce, how you hire, and the goals we set. It also ties back to how we raise money. You brought up fundraising. I mean, we've been very deliberate in choosing investors that align with that long-term perspective. We're a private company today. That makes it a bit easier as well. At some point, we will be a public company, but we've been very deliberate in choosing investors that see that multi-decade type potential. And when they invest in Gusto, I've made it very clear that is the goal we're working towards. Ready for the lightning round? Let's do the lightning round. All right. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? I'm pretty utilitarian on phone stuff. I go like into nature for fun. So maybe my first thought is YouTube. I mean, I've, I've been watching a bunch of videos on construction. Like literally last night, had Planning a poor concrete. Yeah, I just love urban design, construction, architecture topics. You are going to love our upcoming podcast, The Future of Cities, because we have a bunch of construction stuff. Had Kieran Timberlake on, all sorts of really cool prefab stuff. And yeah. If I, uh, in a different life, I would be, I would be a construction person. Favorite time-saving tool? Favorite time-saving tool for me, I use Evernote to write notes. I put some tasks on Google Calendar. Maybe a tip on time-saving is I don't use my phone 30 minutes before going to bed and 30 minutes after waking up. That actually liberates my mind a bit to, to not just focus on the next message. Favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? I don't spend too much time in, in chatbot land. But you do. That's the thing. They're, they're around you every day. They're talking to you. <laughs> they're talking to me. I mean, maybe this is a bit counter to many people, but I've turned off every notification on every device. I try to be as present as I can in each conversation I'm in. I definitely leverage technology in many That's parts great. of my life, but I kind of want to be proactive as much as I can be. And I found a lot of times these things are, are distractions. Favorite team, sports or otherwise? Uh, I'm a big football fan. Grew up in the Bay Area, like the 49ers. So I'll go with 49ers. All right. 
favorite podcast? You mean besides the one yeah, that I'm on right Mission now? Yeah, I, I don't know if I have a single favorite one at the moment. Listening to, to different ones at the present. Favorite recent book you've read? I read The Three-Body Problem recently, which is a sci-fi novel. Quite thought-provoking. I highly recommend it. Favorite show you're watching? I don't watch too much TV. I'd be uh, surprised how much we get that. I would say maybe uh, go back into that bucket of random ad hoc construction videos construction on YouTube. Construction videos on YouTube. Favorite one-day getaway in the Bay Area? Uh, I would say something in, in Marin where I grew up. Camping you know, on Mount Tam. Mount Tam. Yeah. Thing you are most excited about for the future of HR? The thing I'm most excited about, and by the way, when we think of HR, I think of it because the word itself, human resources, like, ah, humans are not resources, human beings, right? But I think of it as human relationships. I'm excited about people not thinking of it as workflow and data. You know, HR at its core, it's, again, thought of a lot as, as compliance. That's an important piece of it. But these are people interacting with people. And so I'm really excited about enabling that, right? Like people spend so much time at work. I think work can and should be this, this source of pride and, and fulfillment impact, you know, not just a paycheck. And I'm excited about that trend. I think people want that. They want work to mean more than just, you know, a transaction. I completely agree. I, and I agree about all the, like HR as a term is just not accurate. I mean, when I was in the army, so I was in quote unquote army's HR and it was nothing like civilian HR, you know, which is, and like even most HR shops are totally different. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a nebulous term to begin with and yeah. probably doesn't make too much sense. But I think it's going in the right direction. I think people realize, especially with folks changing jobs throughout their career, that, you know, you have to invest in, in these people topics and, and again, find alignment, figure out what your company stands for, no matter what size you are, find folks that align with that, care about the problem you're tackling no matter what type of business you are. And uh, when that aligns right, you actually can really accomplish amazing things. Best advice for a first-time CEO? So if you are a uh, first-time CEO founder, yep. I'll assume founder as well. I mean, my, my biggest piece of advice, I guess, on if you want to build a long-term business is imagine this is the 10,000th time you're describing what you're doing, the problem you're tackling, and challenge yourself. Will you be as excited as the first time you're describing it? And if not, then perhaps this isn't a problem that you're super authentic to, right? That's what I would call a mission-driven company. This is my millionth time describing Gusto. I'm just as excited to talk about it as the first time. So that would be advice on, on mission. I'll add one more. Tactically, know that your job as CEO is to keep firing yourself from as many jobs as you can. And so abstraction is really quite valuable. And that means really finding the right people to, to add to your team. You're always going to have plenty to do tactically, but to scale, especially at a high growth rate, you have to really focus a lot on hiring. That's it. Anything we mix? No, we covered quite a few good topics there and thrilled to, to share some advice and hope everyone listening, either if you're a business owner or joining a business, found it beneficial. Send me a note if you have any feedback or questions or things I can help you with. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. The Mission Daily is brought to you by the Twilio Signal Conference. Join the mission team on October 17th through the 18th in San Francisco. And when you join us at the conference, you can use the code MISSION20 to get 20% off. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.